Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here, and I have a special guest with us today. His name's Mark Coxon. He's a speaker, podcaster, writer, and educator. And today what we're going to be discussing is uh, how hacking biology improves your experiences in life. Uh, before I get into everything, Mark, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself so our audience knows where you're from, a little bit about you, and your background? Yeah, so um, number one, thanks for having me. I'm actually a, a neighbor of yours, Leonard. I live in Orange County, California, so awesome. sunny Southern California. Um, I'm a guy who grew up thinking I was going to be a field biologist for the game and fish department hmm. and somehow fell into the world of technology. And nice. I've been uh, designing and, and building audiovisual systems for museums and corporations and house of worship, et cetera, for like the last... 20 years or so. And, uh, I've really found, you know, uh, I guess that there's a huge human component to technology that a lot of people don't realize. And so I've made a, you know, I've made an effort over the last several years to start to connect the dots between humans and tech. Yeah, that makes sense. And with tech, I mean, that's kind of evolved heavily in the last two decades. It's gone crazy. We're almost at the metaverse time. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's funny to see the iterations and to see how cyclical things are. I mean, if you remember in the 90s, they were talking about virtual reality in the metaverse with movies like Lawnmower Man with Stephen King, et cetera. And 20 years later, uh, now we're doing it with Zuckerberg and Facebook. So Exactly. But what you see in movies, you don't think is actually going to happen. And one day it's like, hey, it's coming. <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's always it's always pie in the sky, and then you start to see you start to see the ways that things start to come together, and um, it's amazing kind of the influence that pop culture does have on our, I guess, our impressions of where technology should go. Right? I mean, we exactly. we hear a lot of people complaining that we don't have flying cars yet because Back to the Future uh, was now a few years ago. <laughs> That's. <clears throat> And it's kind of interesting. Like, I don't know if you've seen that um, Supergirl TV show, but they dived heavily into the metaverse in the latest uh, season that came out. And it was kind of interesting, the uh, unique perspective that they kind of shared about it all. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't kept up with that one, unfortunately. But now, now you've given me something to go watch. <laughs> it's one of the least popular ones, so no worries. Um, so you wanted to talk more about like biohacking. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what biohacking is so the audience kind of understands what it is at kind of a high level? Yeah, so, I mean, when we're talking about technology and we're talking, you know, about today's world, even when we're talking about the metaverse, et cetera, you know, technology is really, really just a tool that we've used to enhance communication, right? And you know, the, the first, why I always joke, the first wireless communication, you know, wasn't the cell phone or the pager. The first wireless communication was when, you know, uh, a T-Rex roared at a pterodactyl. You know, <laughs> we've been communicating wirelessly for a long time. It just happened to be in a very analog way that our bodies facilitated. And so there's a huge, you know, there's a huge contingent of the way that we interpret the world that's very subjective and part of our human experience. 
And so when I look at technology, instead of, instead of um, trying to reframe, you know, uh, how humans act by giving them technology and saying, hey, this tech- if you would only change the way you've done things for years, this technology would be really great for you. Biohacking is kind of the opposite. It's when you look at the things that we do and understand naturally and then try to find ways to make technology fit into that paradigm that we already, we already have as, as living beings. And so, you know, I'm always trying to help people understand how to best use kind of the habits uh, and innate way that we interpret the world to get better impact for their messages. Because really, I mean, if we think about communication, we're really trying to get two things, right? We're trying to get somebody's attention. And in today's world of, you know, nonstop media and billboards everywhere and signage and all these things, that's really hard. And, and number two, we're trying to get retention. We're trying to get them to remember what we said because there's usually a call to action. And so even if we can get somebody's attention for a few seconds, if they don't remember what the message was and what that call to action was, we're never actually going to get the impact that we wanted out of the communication. And so I'm always trying to help people understand the human side of that beyond, you know, the screens and transferring bits and bytes from point A to point B. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if we think about Internet users as a whole, a lot of them are seeking information. A lot of them want information fed to them uh, right in front of them. A lot of them want to participate in different things. A lot of people are lonely, especially nowadays with COVID going on. Like, they're looking for ways to go out there and connect. And I think a lot of people are missing the mark, but there's a few outliers who do really hit the mark and hit it pretty strong. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, what I'm talking to people about, about kind of this innate human ability. I mean, there are a lot of things evolutionarily that are just kind of built into us, right, about how we get attention and how, how our eyes and ears work. And so, you know, I talk a lot about immersion, which obviously the metaverse falls into that when we're filling people's peripheral vision. We engage more of the brain because the, the rods and cones on the edges of your eyes are really made to keep you from getting eaten by a lion that's sneaking up on you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. from behind. And so, you know, when we can turn on different parts of the brain uh, through kind of some of that biohacking, then we can get better attention and better, I guess, retention of messaging and things like that. So, yeah, I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to get people to think a little bit about how we're built and then use that to, to determine what technology is best to, to get what you want. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, at our core biology, we were hunters and gatherers at the very beginning. And then now we've kind of gone accustomed to a screen life. And we're like, how do we adjust? And I think it's causing a lot of uh, distress in the um, society where a lot of people are having depression because they're just not used to this. And this is like the first time in the world where people are just sitting in front of technology all the time. And they're not really it's really hard to adapt for the human body when it's naturally uh, built to go and hunt and gather, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's, that's where there potentially are a lot of opportunities for technology to change a little bit. And I think, you know, over the years, like over the last few years, when we think about even something like conferencing technology, which people are using all the time now, right. As they work from home and work with their peers, um, the audit, you know, being able to hear someone is obviously important to have a conversation and be able to see them adds another layer for that kind of nonverbal communication that happens within a meeting. But there's something else that, you know, we as humans get when we interact with somebody in person, and that is an actual chemical interface that happens between us, right? And yeah. 
You know, we release chemicals that let us know if we like each other, that let us know if we trust each other, that tell us if we're in danger. And so there's, there's really no way that the digital realm right now is, is connecting the dots between that kind of unspoken, unseen, unheard communication that happens between people. It'd be interesting to know if, you know, to figure out if there was a way, um, almost like the old, you know, joke about smell-o-vision, you know, is there a way that you could um, create some type of pheromone-based uh, interface that transfers trust or transfers those signals that we pick up chemically to develop better rapport or better communication digitally. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought, but, you know, if you hook somebody up to some type of sensor, we have all sorts of, you know, uh, biosensors now that sensed the heart rate, that sensed the breathing, that sensed all those things, and then correlated that to some type of output. Um, it's something that may bridge the gap between kind of that digital and analog experience we have with people. I saw something crazy the other week. It was pretty unexpected, but some person, I think he's over in Japan, is like inventing like this uh, video interface where you could actually lick it and then taste the flavors on the screen. <laughs> See, there, and, and I think that's where, you know, as we start to go into worlds of virtual reality, augmented reality, any of the extended realities that we're, that we're looking at with metaverse, et cetera, I think that's really where there's a lot of opportunity for innovation. Because again, the, the audio and the video are pretty well baked. I mean, we have high resolution screens, we have 3D audio, we have ways to record and transmit that back and forth. But how are we getting, you know, tactile feedback with our fingers? How are we getting smells, sights, the feel of air if you're supposed to be moving? You know, your body, your body feels air. I mean, if, you, um, if you've ever been on a, a ride, there's a, there's a Back to the Future ride at Universal Studios, right? It's a motion ride. Mm -hmm. And that ride made a lot of people sick in the beginning. And the reason it made people sick is because the, the frame rate of the video, how fast the video was moving, and the amount of Gs the body were pulling were different. So the hmm. body knew that it, wasn't, it didn't feel like it was going 88 miles an hour. It felt like it was going 30, but the screen was going faster. And that disconnect between the way the gut felt and the way the eyes saw actually created nausea in people. And they had what? to get that right. So there's a lot of this kind of, um, there's a lot of nuance to how technology, I mean, we can fake the eyes and the ears, but it's, a, it's really hard to fake the rest of the body. And I think we need to start focusing a lot of our, I guess, uh, a lot of our energy on correcting the interface, right? Making the interface natural if the metaverse yeah. is ever going to take off. Yeah, that makes sense. I, last year, I was uh, playing with my friend's VR headset, and I put on a boxing game, and while I'm probably not the best fighter and it probably looked ridiculous for me to even be punching at nothing, like, I also, it also felt like I was punching at nothing. It wasn't really feeling like anything connecting with those swings so there was like uh that disconnect there too yeah that's funny because you mentioned that there there's a game that was on htc vive that was called bar fight and uh <laughs> i i actually you know part of my history is you know for the last 27 years i've i've practiced muay thai kickboxing i used to fight amateurs and so i do and i spar every weekend so i i do literally fight every single week 
um, I could not hit one person in that game. And that was always my proof that the interface was broken, right? Like if somebody knows how to fight, can't fight within this game, then there's a problem with the interface. And so, you know, I, I know, I know there's a lot of opportunity for improvement in that. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, especially if you know how to fight and you can't hit a single person. Like, I know there was this other game where I tried, like, um, reloading guns, and it was so hard, too. It's like, okay, how do you reload without dropping it? And it's it takes a while to really get used to those interfaces and how they work because um, while they're trying to mimic real life, it, it doesn't really feel like real life. Right. Now, one of the, I'll tell you, one of the better ones that I did see, I used to go to a show a lot called Seagraph, and Seagraph is kind of a, it's a trade show for people who do, um, you know, computer-based content for the most part, you know, people that create visualizations. And um, one of the really great ones that I saw was a 3D interface where you were fixing a car and you actually have to put a drill into the engine compartment. Um, the, the interesting thing was this drill was tethered to like a, um, to a robotic arm. And so if you tried to push the drill through the side of the car, it would actually stop in the air. So the oh, interface wow. was actually tactile enough to know that, hey, I have to turn that at a 45-degree angle and push it down in order to get through this virtual piece of the car in order to get it into the engine compartment. And I thought that was really cool. But if I can imagine the amount of programming it takes on the back end to tell that drill when to stop and go forward based on where it is in the virtual space, right? Yeah, uh, even though awesome. it's free to move in the physical space, yeah. Yeah, even like a lot of uro urologists, neurosurgeons, and so forth, they use those robotic arms when it comes to surgery, and they hook it up to a machine, and then they have these little like uh, glasses and lenses and microscopes that kind of go to the display area where the arms are actually moving, and you'll see them go and s like stitch little tiny needles and little threads together. And it's kind of crazy the amount of accuracy that they're able to achieve from such things. And while doctors have been able to do this with um, using things in real life, if they had a virtual environment, it might make things a little bit more interesting. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the promises of technology and even what they've been saying with networks like 5G where you have, you know, real-time real -time, uh, communication between two points, right? No latency where you could have a surgeon, you could have the world's best brain surgeon sitting in New York and working robotically on a patient in L.A., and be able to execute that, that microsurgery remotely um, really opens up the door for, for a lot of great things. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of points of failure there that you'd want to make sure you're taking care of, too. But, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, um, there are definitely a lot of advantages beyond gaming to, to things like the metaverse when we talk about, you know, virtual worlds and access or even access. I mean, think of somebody in a rural area who doesn't have access to a world-class surgeon, but all of a sudden the world opens up to them because of the virtual environment. Um, it really helps level the playing field, especially for countries or areas that don't, you know, uh, maybe have the same economic resources that we do where we're at, you know? Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, even in America, it's pretty... <clears throat> pretty uh, dispersed out. Like, if you're going for a surgery in Vegas, you're probably not going to have as great of an experience if you're in, like, California or New York or where one of the bigger hospitals are. Just because the doctors don't move to New York or move to Vegas because they have more liability and they don't want to practice there because um, 
they're too liable for things and also at the same time the laws are set up to be more in the patient favor as opposed to the doctor favor and a lot of people just strictly avoid that area just because of how everything's set up and the good ones go to the bigger cities so um, even if you're in like a smaller city like let's say in the far 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 valley north then chances are um, if you have the opportunity to drive to uh, like a major metropolitan area, you're going to find someone better. But if those better surgeons could go and practice remotely through those uh, community hospitals and so forth, then that could bring their expertise straight down to their level too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a world opener. Technology can definitely be a world opener. I think, you know, I think the major, the major problem that we see with technology, I, I say today that Really, for most things, technology is no longer the stumbling block. You yeah. know, for years, we were always waiting for better Internet connections or we were waiting for more, you know, more well-distributed broadband or we were waiting for higher resolution displays or we were waiting for faster computers or better graphics cards. There were always limitations that the technology put in place. If you look today at animated series and, and uh, production equipment and you know, things like, you know, even NVIDIA has an omniverse world that people can create things in. The technology is there and readily available. And now it just becomes about imagination and adoption. Like, how can we put it best to use? And then once we do put it best to use, are people actually going to utilize it? And that's where I really start to get into kind of that human behavior side of, if we can, if we can create ways that, I guess, uh, amplify what humans already do and just put a digital interface over the top of it, there's a much better chance of them utilizing it than if we create some wholly different way that they have to experience the world. And I really think that's where we're at. We're at this point where we really have to look at how humans communicate, how people interpret the world, and again, just kind of put technology in the way and make them kind of walk through it as opposed to uh, leading them to it. So it's a, it's a little different method, but I think, I think that's where we have to go if we want to realize kind of the potential of all of these things. My, my, you know, my grandfather would never go log into the metaverse, but if he's wearing a contact that introduces the metaverse to him while he's walking through a grocery store, then that's a little different, right? So, yeah. um, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of a lot of innovation in the next few years. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like my mom was completely resistant <clears throat> on joining Facebook. She's like, no, 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 I don't want to join. I don't want to join. I don't want to join. Then one day I just made her an account. I follow like Gucci, Louis Vuitton and like all these other pages like Chanel <laughs> and so forth. And, and then I handed her the phone and she just stared at it because all her favorite things were right in front of her. And then <clears throat> she kept using it connected with thousands of people, ended up finding my dad who's in Korea somewhere, and all this other crazy stuff just because I stuck brands on her phone. <laughs> Anyways, it's about time for us to hop off to a commercial break, and we'll return after this uh, short message. Um, where can people find you, Mark, online? Um, best place for me is I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Twitter as the AV is an audio video phenom. Cool, and you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. 
Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here with Mark Coxon. Uh, where we left off uh, the last segment is we talked about how we're at the right point where technology has all the means necessary to go out there and create the tools that we could go and utilize to really go and um, make the human experience so much better when combined with technology because of how far technology has advanced past decade. And uh, um, while Mark mentioned that his grandfather went, wouldn't just go and hop into the metaverse, if he was introduced in some way, shape, or form, that could actually bridge the connection and make him... Uh, actually use it and find the benefits of what's going on with it kind of similar to what happened with my mom when she first discovered facebook uh after a while she started connecting with other people um connecting with her old friends in korea found them realized that she could go and talk to all the people she ever wanted to talk to all the people that she's met all throughout her life and she realized she could go and find them and by connecting with her former uh, friends that she grew up with in korea she was even able to find those resources and uh put out uh post where she was like hey have you seen my ex-husband and surprisingly within like a week she found him and she's been talking about how he just abandoned us and all this other stuff since like um seventh grade and how he's just just off the face of the planet and she found him in a week so that shows the power of technology and how it could go and really connect us back to um who we're looking for and what it has the power to do and that's an example with our existing technology but now we're talking about with um upcoming technologies and biohacking what that could do for the future um mark do you have anything you want to add to that no i just i wanted to reiterate that something that was there that that you had mentioned and and the thing that we have to do as if you're you know if we're in technology or even if we're in businesses that are peripheral to technology is we have to remember that, um, you know, there's usually a friction between doing something new and doing something the old way, right? And just like you said that, you know, your mom was resistant for Facebook, the, the hack to that was that you reduced the friction for her, right? You set up an account, you put the things she already knew and loved on there, and then showed it to her. 
Um, and what you did was you created a, you created a way for her to be emotionally attached to something that she didn't care about, right? She doesn't care about Facebook. Facebook wasn't what she cared about. What she cared about were those brands and those experiences and the things that she was already anchored to emotionally, right? And you just showed her a new way to interface with those and to experience those. And then as that happened, then she said, well, geez, what else could I do with this platform? This platform seems pretty powerful. And then started again to emotionally connect with people she knew or, you know, um, the past, the nostalgia of, of your dad and all those other things, right? And so I think what we have to remember is we have to show people how technology can serve their human needs and the things they already have. And that's how we create kind of these experiences, these deeper experiences with technology is not by promoting the platform per se, but by connecting the dots between things we already know and love and the way that technology can give us deeper access to them. Yeah, I can completely agree with that. I mean, from just experiencing things from a high level, I see a lot of people going, hey, do this, do this, do this. And no one ever wants to go and do this because it's like it's outside of their wheelhouse. And no one wants to go and follow a brand or do a specific thing that they don't really know much about or maybe they heard bad things about. So why would they want to go and do something like that? You have to talk and appeal to people's interests what they actually want and when you actually talk to them um, with uh, their needs in mind then you're actually able to drive change and see things happen and especially with change uh, in any way whatsoever like as humans most of us are completely resistant to change we hate change like when everyone had to stop going into the office at first it was like what do you mean like we have to not go to the office anymore well we have to stay home we have to stay locked up now a lot of people have kind of been accustomed to it and a lot of people don't even want to go out anymore or even go back to the office <laughs> so it's like um, interesting yeah. how changes like at first like even with any type of change, like um, like people don't really want things to change, but um, if they're inside the change, then they kind of have to adapt. And there's forced changes, like with COVID, that was a forced change. But then, like with um, using Facebook, that was not a forced change. That was something my mom actually wanted to do when she actually saw the things she wanted there. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's kind of important to remember is that, um, you know, one thing to, to remember kind of in this new world, and you mentioned kind of working from home and all of these things, is that our, our brain states are affected by our environment, right? And the reason that people couldn't imagine working from home that hadn't worked from home before is because the environment of work was so tied to the thought process of doing the work, right? For them, like the work was done in that chair, and even though the work could be done anywhere, you know, you're, biologically you're tied to that chair is where work is done. And it's, it's actually probably one of the, the things that people have been struggling with when you hear of these, these things like Zoom fatigue and, and uh, you know, people that are having trouble still maybe working from home or those type of things. The reason being is that they're doing all of their activities in the same place. So, you know, if the couch was a place where you had entertainment in your house and you watched television and you did those things, it's really hard for you to sit on the couch and work because your brain goes into that relaxed kind of um, entertainment exploratory state when you sit in that same position. And so really what, if we want to biohack kind of our lives, what we need to do is we need to kind of define spaces for activities and give our brain time to transition between them as well. Like a lot of people lost their commute 
when they stopped, when they started working from home, which is a great thing, especially in LA traffic, to not have to be in traffic for 45 minutes to an hour to get to work. Amazing, right? But there is some advantage to a transitory state between leaving your house and getting to work. And there was actually a study that was done that says the, the best commute is actually about 15 minutes because it takes your brain about 15 minutes to go from home mode to work mode. And so a lot of experts are even saying now you should do a faux commute. You should put your tennis shoes on. You should take a 10-minute walk, get out, go out of your house, walk around the block, take a 10-minute walk, come back in the house. And when you come back in the house, you're going into work mode and you go to your office. And those type of things really help us to not get kind of this, um, this brain fog or this fatigue that we get from having to switch activities without actually changing environments. Because it's important for us. We, we do certain things in certain places. I mean, the commute was never really a problem for me. Like, my 25-minute commute, be like, yay, I get to turn on the radio. I get to listen to my favorite music. I get to go and chill and relax and, like, change my mindset from, oh, I just woke up. What's going on in the world? I just got out of the shower. What, what's happening? To, oh, now I'm going somewhere to actually do something. Nowadays, it's like I'm at home, and I'm at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and if and even if you subscribe to to um, you know books like Atomic Habits, etc., you know they def- they they recommend doing a lot of those same things. Like if you suffer from distraction, you know make a make a place in your house where you sit just to work or where you sit just to think or have a writing chair if that's where you write. Like those little things can help. Those little environmental factors can help. Just tilt you towards the activities that you want to prioritize. Or like getting in the car and driving to the gym, even if you just sit in the parking lot, odds are you'll go in, um, but just making the effort to actually just drive there and sit there for a minute. Even if you're just going to turn around and go home, eventually those small habits kind of hack the brain into doing the things that you're trying to do. And so, you know, it, it's, it's funny in a way to think about that, but, you know, we have to start to create um, those little pieces of momentum that reduce the friction and help us get pointed towards the activities that we want to prioritize, especially in a world where things become, like you said, kind of monotonous, like I'm always in the same spot in my house. Yeah, I, I think I think that would be, I think that those uh, habit changes really do make a difference. And I have dedicated areas where I do things at home as well. Like I have a work desk and I don't know, I recently got a cat recently and whenever I go to sit on my work desk, my cat comes over and knocks everything on my desk over while I'm working. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> Distraction. <laughs> like, like, it'll sit there, it'll look at like maybe like a card or a bottle or something and it'll just start pawing at it and it'll keep pawing at it until it falls off and I'm like, cool, that's a little interesting. But I think what, what could be neat with like technology and everything is like, what if there was a way to integrate that um, morning commute or something into what you're doing so then it feels as if you're moving somewhere without actually going anywhere? Yeah, and, and there, have been, um, there have been kind of some efforts to do some of this. Um, they were building, uh, there was a company, and I forget which one it was off the top of my head. Um, what they were building was they were building escape rooms for healthcare workers. So let's say if you, you were a nurse during the pandemic, you're working 14, 16-hour shifts, you're working five, six days a week, um, especially maybe now as there's some more restriction on the amount of staff that are in hospitals. You know, um, What they were doing were actually building uh, immersive rooms. So they would projection map a whole room with like a beach and use 3D audio of waves, et cetera, 
And people go in that room for 10, 15 minutes and just kind of immerse themselves in a completely different environment, um, get the look and feel of being somewhere else, let the brain turn off, let the brain transition a little bit, and actually be a lot more refreshed than if you had just went into a work cafe, grabbed a cup of coffee, and somebody was talking to you about how bad their day was. That doesn't help you escape, right, for that amount of time. And so um, I think they, we have seen some of that, and I think there's a lot more opportunity for some of that escapism or even, like you said, um, maybe maybe a space that creates transitions, right, um, yeah. for the body. And Like my dentist does that at the extremely lowest level possible. Uh, once you go sit in the chair, you see a picture of Cabo, and you're like, I'm going to die, but I see a picture of Cabo, so it's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... You know, there's there's that opportunity for for um, creating that. We see a lot of, you know, and there are different platforms too, like even when we're talking about metaverse and social and, um, you know, social media, all these technologies that we engage with every day that are that are starting to run our lives. But if you, if you think about it, a lot of us really segment those as well. Like Instagram is a lot more escapism. It's a lot more visual uh, stimulation. And, and, you know, business messages the least real, you know, kind of overt business messages don't play real well there because people come to that platform for escape, whereas something on LinkedIn may play very, you know, play a lot better towards a business intent than it would towards something visual. And so I, I think we already kind of segment our attention and lives based on certain motivations of engaging with technology. Um, but I think, you know, I think there are a lot of opportunities for tech, you know, to kind of, I guess, uh, again, create momentum around technology itself. Like uh, our bodies respond to light. Like if we wake up to slowly amplified light in our room, we wake up much fresher than if we wake up to an alarm clock in a dark room. So doing things like LED lighting that, that ramp up over a 30-minute period like a sunrise um, actually puts our brain in a mode where it wants to wake up. And amplifying kind of circadian rhythms that we already have built around day and nighttime. Um, those things are super important. And there are a ton of studies that show that offices that use that kind of technology get 20, 30% more productivity out of their employees, right? Because they just, they're more alert during the daytime hours. I, I think, I think um, so many times we think about technology in a way that it's completely divorced from people. You know, it's, it's an objective conversation, but we all subjectively interpret it through our own eyes and ears. There's, there's nothing that's experienced that's not experienced through the filter of being a human being. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Like um, the last place I used to work, um, well, <clears throat> I sat underneath the light and there was like a, maybe a two, three month period where the light went out and, um, you know, the building maintenance just never got around to fixing it. And I'm pretty sure in those two to three months where that light wasn't on, for some reason, my productivity took a hit. I'm pretty sure it's directly related to that light. <laughs> Not really sure it's related to <laughs> anything else. But um, I know personally, like, I felt like I was slacking off more in those two to three months than any time else. Another thing that you kind of mentioned is, like, Instagram. A lot of people do go to Instagram for, like, an escapism type thing. Like, if you see content that's kind of ridiculous in the business world, like, go and make seven figures by doing next to nothing or, like, um, 
these inspirational business quotes that are completely unrealistic or make a seven-figure business by doing drop shipping. Like those types of posts like really take off because people are like, oh, you can make lots of money very easily. But then you put that on LinkedIn or like Twitter or like Facebook and you get laughed at and caught a scam. So it's kind of weird because like um, – well, that would work on Instagram because it's like the dreamer business lifestyle. In the real world, it doesn't work at all. Well, on the other hand, like you mentioned, a lot of real business content doesn't work on Instagram because no one goes to Instagram to actually work. They, they're looking for their methods of escapism. Like me personally, I, I look at like fish tanks. I look at like, I look at like piggies. I look at like cats. I look at dogs. I look at animals and I look at things like sceneries and things like this so I could kind of go and chill and reset and I think a lot of people what they kind of do is they fragment themselves into each platform and they're like oh it's LinkedIn let me put on my work hat oh it's uh, Instagram let me put on my relaxation hat oh it's Facebook let me be uh, community driven now and like people kind of switch off based off what they're using which is kind of interesting it, it is right it's, it's very interesting because it, at their core they're all just apps on the same on the same screen so, you know, what, what, what makes people switch modes to go back and forth? And it, it is an interesting thing to start to think about. And when, you, you know, when we're talking about this world that we live in of, of kind of connecting all of these things into something like, you know, the metaverse or connecting the data from these platforms to create more, I guess, intuitive user experiences or customer experiences, um, you have to really look at those motivations I, I, I love quoting, there's a great um, study by Gensler called the Experience Index, and it's, it talks about why people leave their house um, to even go to a public space. Like, let's say, um, for shopping and the mall. Like, pe- people go to the mall, only 20% of their motivation of going to the mall is to actually shop. So you can shop from home on Amazon. But, you know, there are all these other motivations in play. There's an exploratory motivation. There's a community organ- or motivation uh, there's an entertainment motivation to people watching or to discovering something new. So, you know, it's why I think it's very complex. Our human motivations are very complex, and I think we need to we need to go beyond thinking about just the basic utility of of a platform or of an app, et cetera, and start to think about the other reasons that people actually do these things in the first place. And that's where we really can, I guess, get this advantage of. Of, uh, of biohacking, of using human and animal behavior and human instinct to, to, I guess, better connect with other people. Well, you said it makes a lot of sense. Like, I love going to the mall, but I hate buying stuff at the mall and all the shops at the mall, but I, I love going. Like, there's some innate desire where I just want to go and just have fun there and like spend time there. So I kind of, I, I really understand what you're talking about and there's a lot of motivation to really get out of home, but it's about time for us to hop off to a commercial break. Uh, where can people find you online again, Mark? Um, on Twitter, I'm AV Phenom. Cool. And I'm Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter and we'll be back after this commercial break. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained 
Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel, featuring nationally recognized best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Everyone, welcome back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Uh, Leonard Kim here with uh, Mark Coxon. And we've been talking a lot about how our brains are uh, designed to want to go out and do certain things and get away from home and um, other things related to work and how we kind of need that uh, commute type experience to go and change our mindset to be in a different mode to be in work and to kind of... uh, be in different environments to kind of go and change what we're doing. And we kind of reference uh, online platforms a little bit. And if you really think about it, like when we change how we interact on each platform, what we're doing is we're also fragmenting ourselves out a bit because not people aren't really seeing the full picture of who we are. Because while we might be lovey-dovey and community-oriented on Facebook, on Instagram, we're showing our glamorous stream lifestyle. Then on LinkedIn, we're talking about more business-related things. So each piece People, each person who's interacting with us on these other platforms is the same one-dimensional sides of us instead of the whole true self of who we are as well. So when we really think about it, is there a way to really go and combine all that together? Um, if, if there is, um, wouldn't you want to communicate your whole self to people as well? That's something for you to think about. But anyways, let's go back into the biohacking part. Um, do you want to talk more about uh, some biohacking things that you've been thinking a lot about? Yeah, so I mean, when I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about uh, technology and human interaction, I really start I really start from the point that you know we all have shared experience, right? And if we want to create if we want to create some movement, some impact, if we want to create a change in the way that people do things, what we have to do is we have to draw on those shared experiences and motivations. And what I talk to a lot of people about is is this idea of of anchoring. And if anybody's you know uh, research neuro-linguistic programming or NLP, some of those type of things, they talk a lot about anchoring and the way that as people, we're, we're anchored emotionally to certain words, phrases, and events. And so when I talk to people about biohacking, I really, I really tell them, you know, you have to really think about your audience. You really have to think about the people that you're trying to impact this change on. 
and find out who those people are. When you're talking about sharing, you know, like people sharing themselves and being fragmented, it's kind of funny. Like, you know, in a business real, in a business sense, they may have all, uh, they may be all from different generations or they may have different common experiences. And so you have to really start to think, okay, what is, what are one or two things beyond business that unify these people together? And how could I, how could I potentially use that um, to create an emotional connection with everybody in the room at this given time and then use that emotional connection to, to create the impact that I want, the change or the call to action that I'm trying to implement. And so it's very interesting to think about the way people are anchored. Um, and people are usually anchored based on their senses. And the more novel the experience was, the, the higher they, they are anchored. And uh, in one of my talks that I've given before, um, you know, I show pictures of the Twin Towers. And there is a strong emotional reaction to that for anybody who lived through 2001, right? And mm-hmm. we're anchored to that image. And that brings up some very, very unique memories, um, emotions, etc. And then you can, you know, it's just an example of, of something that's happened in a shared experience that despite where people are coming from or their generation, that they may have a common piece to. Right after that, by the way, I do show a picture of a puppy licking a baby just to get people out of their heads because that's very, <laughs> puppies and babies are things that most people find cute, adorable, and happy um, to bring them back out of that piece. Uh, another thing we're anchored to is music. You know, you talk about couples having songs or you talk about music from pop culture. If, if uh, people hear the song from Armageddon, they know it's from Armageddon, right? Like it's, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, to leverage pop culture, nostalgia, and music as well. And so I'm always looking at ways of, of how do we know, how do we, I guess, look at people and, and really, I guess, leverage that shared experience or tap into those emotional anchors that we all have. And those are the best ways to start to get somebody's attention and, and bind them to what we're trying to, trying to put out there. So. Yeah, and if we really think about it, like um, a lot of us across the world have a lot of similar shared experiences. Like we all know what it feels like to work or go to work. Uh, most of us know what it feels like to have a job we love. Most of us know what it feels like to have a job we hate. Uh, most of us knows what it's like to have a boss we love. Most of us knows what it's like to have a boss we hate. <laughs> um, and then that goes with family, that goes with vacations, that goes with anything. So when we think about shared experiences, what we could really go out there and do is share our own personal stories and our own experiences. And by sharing our own experiences with what happened to us, chances are other people have uh, gone across something similar. And the more things that you kind of find that you could go and share about yourself, the more people are able to go and connect with you. And I think um, one of the biggest things that people really disconnect from is they go out there and they try to share stories from like other things in the world and try to go and acquire other stories when all you have to do is really look within yourself. I mean, if you're 30, you have 30 years of combined experience in your life that you could go and pull from. Um, most people haven't just sat at home and done nothing all day. Um, they've had families, <laughs> like 
his um, parents, um, friends at school, getting bullied, picked on, winning contests, all this different stuff that you could really think about. And then if you're 40 or 50 or even 60, then you have even more life experience. You may even have kids, grandkids or something like that. And that just opens up a plethora of new things that you could really talk about, business successes, business failures. And so many people get caught up because they're like, oh, I don't know what to go out there and share. And it's like, it's like that question, like, so what do you do? Or tell me more about yourself. Like people get so caught up in that question because they're like, uh, how am I supposed to put 30 something years into a single sentence or two? But if you go out there and you slowly start sharing story after story after story, you're able to bridge those gaps and find those anchors that really go out there and connect with others by going out there and sharing who you are. And by sharing who you are, you're attracting people who are like you to you. And I write about that a lot in my book. But anyways, um, that really is one of the biggest driving factors to really go out there and connect with people. I mean, sure, you could use, um, <clears throat> um, like, 9-11 is more of a shared experience that we've all experienced. So by putting up those pictures, that does kind of go out there and bridge that kind of connection there. Um, but sharing your own personal story from 9-11, um, <clears throat> that could connect more with people than just the Twin Towers itself. Yeah, 100%. And I, I, I love that you're talking about this idea of, of um, you know, we all have these personal stories, right? And it's funny, all of our lives are worthy of a book, of an autobiography. None of us believe it is because we've lived it. And because we've lived it, it doesn't feel novel to us. It doesn't feel special or unique to us. But it's amazing how many times you'll tell a story that you think is, is kind of a nothing burger, something that was seems mediocre or seems like it wasn't a big deal and how much that resonates with somebody else, right? Like how much it actually impacts them. And you're like, wow, I can't believe that story really affected them in that way. And I think we have this, I guess this, um, you know, propensity to kind of undervalue our own experiences as, as not unique or important. And I think people really need to embrace that their life is unique and important. And those stories really could resonate on a level that they don't, you know, they don't even understand. Um, when you're talking about a book, I had an opportunity to interview an author once. Her name's Kendra Hall, and she wrote a book. Um, She's written a couple books on storytelling, but uh, I think the latest one is Change Your Story, Change Your Life, about the stories we tell ourselves, right, about how we self-define ourselves. Um, but one of the things that she said, you know, when you're talking to an audience, um, was that we always want to leave a little bit of white space. We always want to leave a little bit of white space for people to insert themselves as the protagonist in the story, right? Especially if we want them to embark on an adventure with us. And um, she said, if you leave a little bit of white space, people start inserting their own family, their own faces, their own priorities into that story and figuring out how they can be part of that adventure themselves, right? And she called it narrative transportation. But I always thought it was very, very interesting, this idea of not fully defining everything, leaving a little room for the people listening to bring themselves into the story next to you. And um, I think that's very powerful, right? It empowers people to be part of the journey. It really does. Like I was um, eating with someone who's um, <clears throat> Wall Street execs, VC world, you know, top of their game, all that cool stuff. And we were eating together and I was talking about like how, you know, horrible my life's been for most of my life, but in a very confident and um, assuring way, not really complaining about it, but just going, yeah, this happened. And he goes, I'm going to, I never told anyone this before, but like in between like high school and like college, I was like homeless for a while. I'm like, 
okay so he tells me but then he's never told anyone about that before and the reason for that is by me going out there and sharing what's what happened in my life he inserted himself into his life too and then started sharing things that he may have been ashamed about in the past but no longer felt ashamed about it because he felt comfortable yeah and i think that's you know that's the power of vulnerability right like if you listen to Brene brown or or, you know, on any of her, her stuff that's out there on TED Talks or read some of her books, like vulnerability is a very powerful thing. It's a way to make a huge human connection. And, you know, I think even as a, if you're a brand or if you're a company, you know, being vulnerable and sharing those, even sharing those, those stories of failure and how you rebounded from it really helps people identify with you more than maybe if you just always put out this image of constant success, Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, what they end up doing is they put themselves into a box and they are seen as uh, two-dimensional, kind of like what you just said, just uh, aura of success, as opposed to a three-dimensional comprehensive uh, image of what they are, which is an accumulation of all experiences as opposed to just a singular uh, one that most present. And um, a lot of people don't know how to do that. I kind of cover a lot of it in my book. If you Google a Leonard Kim book, you could really, it's the orange one, you could really figure out the details of how to go out there and do this for yourself. But I mean, when you have a more comprehensive picture, like um, business is all about getting people to know, like, and trust you. But if you could do that at scale and get people to not only know, like, and trust you, but also fall in love with you, um, that's what really being a three-dimensional creature is all about. And um when you're kind of able to break down those barriers where you're just like, oh, let me just be in business mode or success mode all the time, and you chip away at that and show the whole picture, it makes a lot more people gravitate to who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, and it, and it, it allows for deeper connection and for serving a deeper need, right? I mean, it, the, more, the, more that, the more vulnerable you are, the more susceptible you are to somebody with potential bad intentions, but also the more powerful uh, connection you can have with somebody who has good intentions, right? And, and the more that they can help you uh, get to where you need to go. And I think, you know, again, for me, that's always been the funny part about technology is I work in, a, I work in an industry that wants to be really objective. They want everything to be black and white. And when you're, you know, if you're moving data from point A to point B, it either gets there or it doesn't, right? And so they get kind of hung up on these objective standards and we don't really start to, we don't really think about the subjective interpretation of what we're doing through people and how what we do actually is very interdependent on the way that we're perceived, the emotions that we evoke, the, the state of mind that somebody's in when they absorb our content, et cetera. And we have to really start to set the stage by creating the state of mind we want, creating the right story around what we want to tell creating that right level of trust and connection with somebody before we make an ask or some type of call to action. You know, all of those things are part of the tech story. And unfortunately, a lot of tech technology people aren't comfortable with the soft, squishy science of people, right? But biology is so important in what we do every day on a bits and bytes level too. Yeah, and it's not just the technology industry that's like that. It's all industries. <clears throat> They're scared to really showcase their true selves because they're scared that they're going to be judged, mocked, and ridiculed. But what it really does is it drives true connection. Anyways, Mark, um, it's about time for us to end the show. Uh, where can people find you again? On Twitter, I'm the AV Phenom. 
Perfect. And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.